Is that our open music? That's what we've been using? I think so. Yeah, right. I think this is it. Well, everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore. Presented by Bike911.com. Jason Pridmore back from a weekend at the racetrack. How's it going, dude? Great, man. Great. Loving it. Um, just kind of in that little run right before Christmas where uh, we were we were at Chuckwalla. I was at Chuckwalla last Tuesday night. Did some stuff Wednesday. Did some stuff Thursday as far as coaching stuff goes. And then went right into the weekend. Apex Assassin's Day on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, did that. And then and then Saturday, Sunday was, like, what is it, round three or round four at Chuckwalla now? I, I honestly don't. I can't remember. I know we missed the first one. So it's got to be... Uh, I think it's round four, round four Chuck Wallace series. Yeah, crazy. Oh uh, no, I they mean, didn't do they didn't do November, so maybe that was round three this year. That's right, because don't they have six rounds? Yeah, September, Total? October, and then December they did, and then mm-hmm. they'll do January, February, January, March, February, March, April. I think maybe. Done. I think they oh, might do okay. April too. So yeah, big talk is get a little is, bit warm out there. Is Greg White coming out in March again? I think it was March last year. So we gotta we gotta figure this hmm. out. Oh yeah, we'll figure it out later. But uh, you know, hey, listen, if you need some legal advice, you need some legal help. Contracts coming up. Maybe you got in a motorcycle accident earlier. Bike911.com. Make sure you go check out bike911.com. It's one of those websites. In this week's podcast, Arai News, and we're going to be talking to six-time world champ Johnny Ray. He's going to be joining us. So pumped that he's coming on the show. It's been a while since we chatted him up. If you want to support the program, you can go to patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. The link is in the description. You can you know sign up. I don't care if it's a buck, five bucks a month, whatever. Uh, we post exclusive, some exclusive content up there. I'm sure there's more coming. Um, and uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't. If Or we're trying to post this up video, uh, something new for us. We're using a new program, so this will be up there. So make sure you subscribe and click the notification. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what to do. What and this is going to allow us to do, though, really, Greg, is not only just be able to interview guys, but be able to see the personalities behind these some of the writers or, or the industry people that we choose, you know, the, or that choose to come on the show with us. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this uh, it's kind of cool for us to be able to do it this way. And um, how great is it that the first time we're doing it, uh, maybe with some video, that uh, we're getting Johnny on. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Now, before we yeah. get to the news, let's talk a little bit about Chuck Walla. So who did you see that was out there? Um, I heard Michael Gilbert was was ripping, is what I uh, heard. A lot of guys are ripping. I mean, Mikey won again. Um, Debrino is is it's great that he's made the effort to come all the way down here each month uh, and and ride. Um, Dave Anthony again, strong. Had some problems uh, in some of the races leading up to it. So you know, I think that the when the shootout kind of came along on Sunday um, for Dave, I was happy to see him be able to do what he did. He ended up third, real close. But Debrino led most of the race. Mikey ended up getting by with about three or four to go, hmm. about four laps to go, I think it was. Um, and then he, he just inched away. Debrino was second. Um, uh, Dave Anthony was third. And then um, Anthony Norton, who's kind of a local guy out here, did really amazing to finish fourth. Uh, probably a guy that you know deserves a shout out, you know. Um, hmm. And then and then Sam Lockoff. You, you know, I think watching him. Uh, this weekend made me feel because I don't really know what's going on right the second with M4. We know Escalante has been signed, and I believe it came out that Sam had been signed. That's correct. Sam, yeah, I think two yeah, weeks Sam, ago maybe. Yep. Sam's a lead kid now. I mean, Greg, I know this will be relevant to you um, because you know the lap times around Chuck Walla for those that don't. Um, but but Sam went forty five minute forty five point three on a six hundred around there on that G six R six hundred forty forty five. 
45-3, which is insanely fast um, around there. So again, it's 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 neat because it's given these guys a, a, a place to come and race. He ended up winning the 600 shootout over Chad Lewin, who rode really well this weekend as well on an R6. Um, and then Owen Williams ended up winning the lightweight shootout. So we're getting a lot of these guys. John Knowles was there. We're getting people that, that are in Moto America. They're, they're kind of finding a, a winter haven out here at Chuckwalla to come and test their skills. And I asked Sam, I said, you kind of come and do the rest of them. He's like, I'm doing them. I'm, I'm coming back. So he I think you probably even find more people in January, February agree. when more teams start to sort out who's going where and all that. that yeah, well, we've already happen? got like Thermiotis and Zaragoza. Those guys have been racing Moto America, but they're mm -hmm. kind of locals anyways. They've been coming here and riding, and, and so that's good. Uh, I know Nolan Lampkin's planning on coming out, I think, for the January round. He's just kind of getting better from, from injury. But I think you're right. I think after after the you know Christmas break and, and New Year's break, that we'll start to see some of our teams maybe head this way or at least riders wanting to shake down new stuff. I'm really interested to see how many people come and shake down the new super sport regulation type bikes uh, that, that are being built right now for, you know, for Daytona, for, for our Moto America mm. season. So, you know, Chuck Walla right now is the place to be only because it's the weather. Greg, the weather was insane. It was cool in the morning. It did get into the forties in the morning, but I mean, it was just typical Chuck Wall after that. There was no wind. Um, got into the 60s. It was perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you, was Femme Walla last week? I can't it's remember. this week coming up. So I'm here. Oh, okay. I drove home last night. And I got Andrew Lee with me. And then um, we're basically going to uh, – actually, Nolan's coming in uh, Wednesday. We're going to pick him up. And then Thursday, we're going to rip back out to Chuck Walla. And then we got Femme Walla on Friday. And then, and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'll be out there uh, – with with all my staff just doing our thing when's your when's your stuff coming out about your about it, it, it's actually i literally got it done right before i left to go to chuck walla but it's so hard mm -hmm. to get things out then but it'll probably yeah. my schedule will be out this week and um i mean it's amazing how it's pretty much first couple months are full already pretty much so it's it's uh it's great but we you know it's a great home to be out there and um yeah we're just all waiting for g-dub's appearance it's all talked about. Mm. Mm. We'll have to see how that goes. Not really sure. Got a lot of archery coming down the pipe shooting again. But anyway, later on in the show, we're going to tell you about what we decided to do for uh, for Supercross Fantasy. And there's there's already a link in the description if you want to check that out. Yep. But let's now get to the news presented by Arai. See again. New process. I kind of missed the open of that, but that's okay. That's okay. See, see, I can turn the volume up. Yeah. I can turn the volume down. You have the control, yeah. G-Dub. I do have the control. Start hey. Start some micro, the, the antimicrobials and all that. Let's do that. You want me to do the antimicrobial one? Yeah, or? do it. Do it. All right. Hey, Jason, did you know that Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? Yup. In honor of Nolan Lampkin coming out, the interior liner gives you odor resistance, dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials that you love so much. You can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Check out AraiAmericas.com. Pick out what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment. And while you're there, grab yourself the new lid that you want so desperately. You know, it's Christmas time. I think Hanukkah already happened. And then there's some other things coming up. But get, you know what? Here, Here's an idea. Get yourself a new helmet for yourself for New Year's because you deserve it. There you go. All right. Well, Jay... Let's dive into the news. The first bit of news I want to talk about is more 
by the time you're hearing this episode, episode number one of Behind the Stars and Stripes has aired. It's a four-part series starring Americans uh, Joe Roberts and Cameron Bobier. Now, the first episode aired December 14th, which is Tuesday of this week. We're posting this podcast. That one's called New Beginnings. On the 16th of December will be episode number two, The Highs and Lows of Racing. On the 18th of December, episode number three, The Problem with Moto 2, dot, dot, dot. And then on the 19th will be the final episode, The Next Generation. So, Jay, we obviously know that these docuseries are important, really. I mean, it's it's the new way to get some great information and to lasso people in. Did you get to see the trailer at all? I, yeah, I haven't. I haven't. Obviously, great because I was gone since last Tuesday. No, and I think they posted it this morning, and I know you basically woke up and yeah. came straight here. Yeah, I, I, I will. I will try. I got to get better at trying to watch some of this stuff. You know me. I've kind of... Even my social media stuff, I haven't done as much as I probably, I mean, should I? I don't know if I should. Does anybody really care? I, I, I've i separated myself away from that stuff a little bit. But these kind of things I think are really interesting because it's going to give you a perspective on some of these guys a little bit more on what they go through on a weekend and teams and that. I'd love to have Joe on here as well um, because I think that this year a lot have been said, has been said about Cam going over there. But Joe's been over there kind of pounding the pavement for a few years, and I got to know him a little bit better last year. Um so I'm, I'm really interested to see this. That's awesome. Um, you can check that out. It's going to be MotoGP.com. So I, I don't think it's free, but, you know. Is it, know is it on there? Is that on the page? I know I just got dinged again for another year. So is it on? Yeah, me too. Like I can was, just go on MotoGP.com so it's there. Yeah. yeah, just go to MotoGP.com. It'll be there. Speaking of MotoGP, <laughs> how about this news? Um, it looks like our podcast friend, Bradley Smith is headed back to the MotoGP paddock in the Moto E Championship. According to VisorDown.com, rumor is he is signed with the RNF E Racing team. And, uh, you know, my opinion is that Brad's got some unfinished business in Moto E. What are your thoughts about Bradley Smith going back? Kind of feel the same. Um, he's been active. I know he's been active running a team. And I know he's been active riding, a, I think I've seen him on his ZX10 doing a little bit of testing for that team. When it looked like he, you know, everybody was like, oh, he's going to come back and race. Uh, this bike, and he kind of put the the squash on that of like, hey, I'm just riding this bike, kind of give the team a little bit of feedback. It seemed. Yeah, so, we had the, remember we had the soundbite from him on the podcast. That's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so it's it's uh, so it's good. No, it's great that that he's got an opportunity to get back and see the lights go out again for him uh, as far as the green lights for the racing and and he was very instrumental, I believe, in the beginning early development of of Moto E and riding those bikes. And uh, I'm happy to see him have another go at it. How about World Superbike news as we await the arrival of Johnny Ray? Talk to him in a moment. Um, Scott Redding has already completed his first test on the BMW M1000RR in Estoril about a week ago or so. I don't, I don't think we know any numbers off that, but it also looks like this week that HRC, the new HRC boys of Iker Lukawona and Xavi Vierge are going to throw a leg over the CBR1000RRR at Jerez with Kawasaki, I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll know more of that from Johnny Ray. What do you think about these guys getting a leg over the bike before we get into that, you know, holiday time to that give window. them some thoughts? As, yeah. What do you think? I love the fact that, you know, I've really developed a really uh, a likeness for, for, for Scott Redding. I mean, I think that the way he approaches things and how he even approaches his fans and through social media on Instagram, he lets them kind of delve in. He, he did a really cool video of when he kind of saw the bike for the first time, walked up on it, sat on it, did those kind of things. So... Um, again, me being kind of gone for the last week, I haven't done a lot of reading up on how that test went for him or if he really even came out and said anything real about the test, I don't know. 
Um, but man, I don't know why, Greg, but I am really, really excited to see Lekawona on the Honda. Um, and, and, and I just want to see how that relationship starts. Mm -hmm. And, um, Chevy Vierge, I, I, again, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I'm interested in it, but I want to see, they've got a young guy on this Honda and Ecker Lekawona who's coming from MotoGP. Uh, I'm very interested to see how this first test goes. And I don't know how closed off it'll be or how much we're really going to find out. But again, we'll, we'll, we'll know more, I'm sure, soon. All right, so that's news presented by Arai. Now we'd like to welcome in a guy who's an absolute legend across the board in all racing disciplines, six-time world champion, Jonathan Ray. Hey, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us here on the Grace Garage Pod with co-host Jason Pridmore. Good to have you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, um, Jason, I know you have a lot of questions for Jonathan. Jonathan, Jason's going to kind of take this away and start chit-chatting, but towards the end of this, um, I have a couple questions from some listeners, so that we'll ask you if you're if you're keen. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I, you know the questions I got are probably ones that I got to know you a little bit this year, going to Jerez and playing a little bit of golf. That 300 yard drive down the middle on number one is still deep into my brain that you hit there on the first hole, Jonathan. So that was a good time. Um, you know, I, I think I think when we went into the finale, there were so many things that could happen. Um, I watched a I watched an interview with you similar to the one that we're doing. And you were asked specifically about the pressures of the championship, and you said you didn't feel any pressure. And it really looked like that going into the last round, that it was just go there as business as usual and try to get done what you get done, and you did the double, and it was, you fell out a little short. But it was such a different position for you to be in going into that final race, and I didn't know if maybe you could tell us what it was like really on the inside going into that final race of the weekend, of the year. Because now I've fought for championships in so many different ways, um, even fighting down to the last round, even though I didn't come out and top, the mentality and the learnings I had going into it was pretty, pretty good because I understand myself a little bit better. Um, it's so funny, the mindset when you have the advantage and like, for example, Estoril last year, I was, I'm not sure, I had to wobble around and finish maybe 12th to beat Reading in the first race. But we had maybe three, four, three weeks to wait until that race. And honestly, the doubts that would go in your head, I crashed in Super Bowl that weekend. I thought, oh, everything's against me. So it's so easier coming from behind, especially after the season we had. You know, you probably see me at, uh, at the worst possible point in Portimao, where, you know, after that Super Bowl race, I pretty much accepted that we threw everything away um, in the championship. And anything would be better than where we were and I went out and won that race too went to Argentina thinking hey this is a good circuit for us maybe we could get closer in the mix and it didn't pan out that way so going into Indonesia I think we had like five weeks to think about it and I was my mindset was I've got to win three races and top rack's gonna finish fourth in three races and that'll get it done and um you know, the weather was a huge curveball. So I was like rubbing my hands every time it rained, thinking this is my chance, you know, it's going to throw a spanner in the works. And hey, ho, we got a race canceled and we got two. So, um, you know, I ran it close after such a deficit. We were 13 points, I think, back in the end um, or something like that. So just strange. I learned a lot about my mentality and how to approach things. And I think 
sometimes when my back's against the wall and I have to come out fighting or the chips are down, you've got nothing to lose. I operate at the best. But when you're in that sort of managing almost there, kind of got to get it done, that's where I sort of mess up. You know, my first world championship in 15, I was going to win four rounds from the end, maybe three rounds from the end at Jerez. And I had the most horrible weekend. I finished fourth. It was the first time I was off the podium all year to win a world championship. So, so yeah, it was just like, yeah, I knew all that I'd gone through in the past. I knew the pressure would be on top rack. Um, so, yeah, go and do what I could do. And it turned out the trip was amazing. The track was cool. Um, aside from hotel quarantine, when we got there, we got a terrible hotel. Um <laughs> Once we got through them two days and we actually got to Mandalika, the country, the little island, it was pretty amazing. We had a nice hotel there. Food was good. Track was good. People seemed so excited that Superbike were coming there. So, um, yeah, nice experience in the end. I talked a little bit about I felt like we got a little cheated that we had to miss the Saturday race because I felt that if you go out there and you win that Saturday race, sleeping, you know, in – Top Rack, going to bed that night, would definitely have a lot more to think about, especially in the wet weather. Um, even though he improved, I feel I feel like he stepped up his game a lot this year in the wet, as I'm sure you'd agree. Um, but I, I felt like we were a little bit cheated because the psychology changes a lot when you go to bed at night knowing your rival just won a race. The weather could be the same the next day and you got two rounds. Did you feel the same way a little bit, like a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see that Saturday race? Yeah, even though I was... Um you know, brave face and all that and said all the right things. I would be lying if I didn't say I um, I sort of shed a tear. You know, on Saturday evening, I was waiting and waiting in my leathers. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I really think they could have ran that race if they just waited a little bit. There was a window after they called it quits. There was a window between, it was actually better on Saturday than it was on Sunday. On Sunday, it didn't stop raining, but on Saturday, it was, you know, from 5 o'clock to 5.40, the space, or like, yeah, 10 to 5 to 5.30 was a good space where we could have got either a shortened race or even a full race under our belt in manageable conditions. But, I mean, when they called it, it was the right thing to do because it was, um, man, the track was flooded. Um, but they done such a good job on Sunday to get a race. I mean, I was worried for the fans more or less because, I mean, Top Rack won the championship in the first race and it would have been so easy for the organizers to sort of wipe their hands and say, hey, listen, we're out of here. Um, in fact, I'm sure sure, a lot of the big wigs had their flight that night, but they, <laughs> they we waited and waited and waited and the fans waited, they were singing. And um, yeah, it was super cool atmosphere. I think the last atmosphere I was like, like that was when one of the Thai super sport riders was at the front of a race at Bury Ram, it was like being at a football stadium <laughs> and um, it was a really, really nice atmosphere. So um, yeah, happy for the fans to get that second race and happy for me as well. Cause we went out and did a really nice fight with Reading in the end and um, came out on top. So for me, you know, and I think for a lot of the fans seeing you get pushed this year, it, there's, there's something about watching you ride a bike over its limit. That's, that's really cool to watch. And there was one, two big surprises for me, and I was part of one of them at Portimao. Um, but the second crash at most, after you picked the bike up and got going again, uh, was was odd one to me. Um, and you said that you were just riding around like 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 normal. Um, that 
I think at that point you'd got yourself up to seventh and there was a big gap to sixth and you look settled. Um, that one there, and then obviously the Portimao weekend, uh, knowing going into there how good you are and being around you and the team a little bit like I was, um, those were the, the real weekends that I thought uh, would be really hard to come back from. Um, the close-knit of your team and how they never gave up and how they ne- they just stay behind you, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that throughout all the career that I've had racing. Um, those guys had your back so hard, even after the, the rough ports of my weekend. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've, <laughs> I have no answers for that Moss second crash. Cause was literally, a weird I was, one, yeah. I was bimbling around and there was somebody else in the gravel. Cause I was sat in the gravel trap with somebody. I forget who it was. Could have been Folger <laughs> or, and he said, Hey, did you crash in my oil? Cause my bike blew up. And I was like, don't know, maybe you're just teeing me up here for a good excuse, but that was, I'm going to run with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a weird one, though. It looked but like you hit a bump, though, you know? But yeah. Yeah, but I mean, Portimao was, you know, hands up my my fault. You know, we've been, um, we've been having a few issues this year, and I've got to be, I've got to give it up so much to Alex. You know, he's the perfect teammate. You know, I've had teammates in the past that, refused to work together um you know if you asked them what they had for breakfast they would swing you a curveball where alex is like pretty much up front he's you know well i think quite honest you know he could be giving me curveballs left right and center but it seems like such a good dude and we talk openly about the bike and portima we we had a pretty good conversation friday after lunch and i asked to go back to to retest something that we'd gone a different direction with during the year and my bike in FP2, I was sat on it thinking, I'm going to win this championship. You know, I am felt like home again. You know, it felt like I could push to the limits. And, yeah, Saturday race proved that. You know, I all weekend I had the pace. The guys knew the only way to, to stop me from winning was to be aggressive. You know, kind of like Rossi Casey, Laguna Seca. You know, that um, disrupt the rhythm and, you know, it, it worked. Yeah. I got ruffled and realized the only way with a speed deficit down that home straight was to, you know, to do such a good last sector. Reading, I think, made a mistake in, I think it's 12 or 13. So I came and I ran so good into the penultimate corner. I was going into that rise and just, I was asking too much. You know, I put my head down and I committed to go and try and check out and give myself some room in that first sector in front. And, um, didn't work out also that race was pretty windy from what i remember um redding gave me that excuse he said yeah maybe he got caught out by the wind but generally or um honestly it was i was just too hasty too hasty on the brakes um i made my own mistakes so frustrated with that one but more frustrated with the wet super pole race um because yeah there was no need for that it was the first lap of the race i got a bad start I got to the front within a few corners and, you know, I could have just tiptoed around at least the first lap to understand conditions, but um, I seen it as my time to go and it it um, clearly wasn't. So, yeah, a few learnings. Yeah, well, you bring up the fact too about Alex and that I, it was literally right here, one of my questions is with Yamaha basically fielding a four-rider team essentially, it looked like the goal this year was for all those riders with Yamaha to work together to take down one guy. And then of course you've got Redding there um, as well as VDM at some of the rounds. But 
we I've never seen you really get a chance to work with a teammate like you had with Alex this year, and you could definitely see it towards the end. And knowing Alex the way I do, I know he was really bummed that he was injured and he was hurt because he felt like he wanted to be there as well to try to show you some support. Um, did you feel like did you feel like you're getting ganged up a little bit this year by some of the, by by the by some of the Yamaha guys? No, not at all. Because I mean, I felt like I had them all under control apart from top right you know he's he's their guy really and um they have a of course they have a good program and they've made steps i don't feel like in the last years we've made many steps forward or maybe they're very incremental and you can't see them but noticeably yamaha have stepped up and um i mean top right still makes the difference but i'm just happy to have i think with like putting shit on my team i think alex should be Due a lot more kudos than he probably gets. You know, he was third in the world only a few years ago with Yamaha and rode the MotoGP bike. You know, sometimes when you've been with the same manufacturer like I have for so long, you forget what other bikes feel like. And always the first feelings when you ride a new bike are the correct ones, them correct feelings to work on. And um, it's been it's in our team that they know how the bike works. And uh, I think now we're starting to we've got quite similar opinions and we're being quite strong with the team where they need to improve and they're reacting, you know, they need to react. We've spent, I wouldn't say even the six years I was there, but or winning. But even before that, I felt like Kawasaki was a reference um, for all the manufacturers. And it's not like that anymore. You know, the, everyone's caught up, you know, the speed of the Ducati, for example, the versatility of the Yamaha, uh, Honda and BMW have the bit between their teeth. So, when you're coming from this standpoint now, you know you need to improve, and everyone's on the same page. Like you say, the unity inside, um, when I was making these mistakes or the team were making some mistakes, we never pointed fingers. You know, It was like when I was low, um, the team come and they, they don't try and shrug their shoulders and look like, hey, what, what are we going to do? They sort of lift me up, like, come on, we're going we're gonna to do this. We'll keep, keep plugging away and... Um, you know, my team manager, he can be very ruthless and point out, you know, every mistake in an email after every single race. But he's also an incredibly amazing guy that when he knows you need help, he's there to support you and go to town and battle with you. So that's um, that's really nice. Now, Jonathan, you've mentioned that you guys have made maybe incremental steps in the bike development. Kawasaki tried to help you this year by coming out with a new bike, the RR, that you guys thought might solve some issues. Um, our media folks, I mean, you know, us included, we talk about it on the podcast. Do we make too big of an issue with the fact that Kawasaki makes a bike that's there to help you out? And then when the rules actually came out, it didn't seem to help you out. Are we making too big of a deal about it? Or is it something that really exists? Yeah, I've got to be careful what I say, because, um, not so much from you know, my, like Kawasaki or media, but, you know, so many people jump on when I talk about the lack of speed, you know, it's not, but I feel this year it was really evident. Um, you know, I've got to be proud of Kawasaki, like which manufacturer homologates a new bike every couple of years. And they do that because A, we're competitive and B, it's one of the only championships they're involved in at a high level in road racing. So, um, but someone's messed up you know, in communication of getting this across the line to, to use it in racing. And and we weren't given that. In fact, we were delivered the news about not using our extra 
um, concession RPM like one week before round one. So we'd done all our winter testing with with a new engine with which we still use, um, and but with you know much lower RPM. So we have to overgear our bike much more than we did in the past. So of course that ex- that hurts acceleration, deceleration, but you know it's it is what it is. Um, well, let, just, let's talk about the implications of that. Maybe somebody who, who doesn't follow World Superbike closely. So, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jonathan. So, from what I understand, the rules packages for a World Superbike bike, say different from a Moto America Superbike, uh, and this is where the biggest difference I think is, is that we have to run stock transmissions. Whatever comes with the bike, we have to run it. I think there's some modifications you can do to make it racer, better racing, but you guys can actually pick one transmission so it can be like any transmission you want but if you pick it at the beginning of the season send in the paperwork you are locked into that transmission isn't that correct yeah, boxes. of course we can change final ratios on sprockets yeah sprockets yeah, yeah. Um, so, so gearbox that, you're, you're right your gearbox i'm specifically speaking of so if you're testing at a certain rpm and you're testing and you go, okay, this is the gearbox. This, these are internal gears that we want that work with this bike. Then all of a sudden you come back and they go, no, you're getting the same RPM limit that you had on the ZX-10R, even though the RR was specifically designed to have more RPM in it. And that was kind of the stumbling block for you for you guys as a team, right? Um, not, not so much internal gearbox because it, it all comes down to final ratio at the end of the day. Internal mm-hmm. Ratios of, might help you from track to track where you can, you know, say there's a lot of circuits in the calendar that are second gear and then some tracks you don't need second gear so much so you can change that. You know, in the past we were able to do that quite a lot. Um, but say final ratio, it's hard to explain to the layman. I'm not very good at this, but <laughs> say you're going into your roundabout in, in third gear, you know, a nice long gear. It's harder to stop the car, you know. If you try to accelerate from the roundabout in third gear, it's harder to accelerate. So let's say to the, you know, super bikes for dummies, if you're in sixth gear going down the back straight, normally that's what we gear our final ratios for, that we can arrive close to the limiter with a slipstream in sixth gear. So if I'm allowed 14,600 and Ducati are allowed 16,200, that means we have to overgear our bike quite a lot because in sixth gear, we're going to arrive in our limiter if we have a very short ratio final gearing. So, for the for the one that doesn't understand, it's like using a gear higher everywhere, you know. Um, so in the past, a Kawasaki chassis was really deemed to be so stable. You know, you could arrive a real stop and go style. Now we're having to be very fluid with the bike, carries corner speed. Um, I've tried to keep the bike really in line. This is the direction I went down this year that I didn't like with engine braking. It was very open. You would never see my bike backing in. So uh, with the full fuel load and good grip, that was good. But as soon as the fuel load went down, uh, fuel would go to the back of the bike, tire grip would go down, I would have less contact with the front. And I rode myself into some crashes with you know engine brake pushing the bike. And that's... But, you know, everyone's on their limit, you know, and from my point of view, that's where we can improve. Um, I know the guys at the front and other manufacturers and other riders, they're not, they also have their way to improve. So um, rules are rules and we're trying to to make the best of them. Um, I think next year it'll be pretty much the same 
Um, but I know our team have quite a lot of hard parts and software that we can that we're going to test here um, very soon and also into the new year. So there's reason for optimism, and you know I felt good with my bike at the end of the year. So I'm looking forward to next year. Um, and I really enjoyed the fight as well this year. All the fights on track that was quite fun, and um, looking forward to more of the same next year. Well, I wanted to ask you about that too because you brought it up earlier that some of the roughing up and this and that. And, and I guess, Johnny, I might be a little bit old school because I don't think that anybody goes out on the track with the intentions of taking somebody out or running into somebody on purpose or any of that. Um, I also, I feel like the way the rules are, the racing's so close. And this year, watching some of the races, um, I'm just curious to know how many times you thought things went over the top or or did you feel really comfortable? I, I you know, you and Top Rack specifically have so much motorcycle control, so much bike control that, you know, I, I remember a few times of you guys kind of touching and getting together. Um, was there ever a time when you just felt like this is getting over the top or did you always feel like the fights were always pretty fair? Yeah, I would say pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, yeah. There wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there wa- there wasn't a time this year where I was like, really moaning about or felt you know hard done by by a pass or anything like that i think um in the beginning of race one in portugal top right was pretty over the limit you know and there was mm. contact and if if i hadn't have moved or well i mean if he hadn't have hit me he, pro- he used me as a berm a couple of times you know once in five once in uh, 13. Yep. But I mean that's fine, you know. I I came close to him. There was a really close encounter with him at um, Navarra. You know, he, no word of a lie. He came turn one in Navarra's sixth gear, and you tip in there. The bike goes in the limiter, and he fucking passed me at the apex. You know, I was I was fuming, but he passed me so close, and he, he actually came across me and then tipped in. But he came in, he went in that fast, he ran a bit wide, so I like stuffed him in the next corner thinking, I'm not having this, you know, that's sick gear flat out. And that was completely fine. After the race, I was like, hey, listen, that was, I was committed to that, to repass you back, so I'm sure he, he had the lift. And mm-hmm. um, he was like, hey, no, no worries, I like that. So I thought, all right, that's cool. You know, there's <laughs> there's margin here and he... Um, you know, he gave it to me back in, in Portugal, for example. In Manicur, we were pretty close quite a few areas. Um, so, yeah, he's, for the most part, like, he's right on the line. Um, but, yeah, I know there's a few other guys don't really like that way of riding. Um, but it's, I mean, it's such a line because you're you're an example to these kids in 300 class. Mm. Um, you know, you can't can't just arrive at apexes and expect the other guy to know you're there and, and give you room as well. So it's, it's a real tight one, you know, and, um, but nothing to you on the limit for me this year. I think it's, watch? It's, it's an experience. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's an experience thing too. I think Jonathan, like you, you get a sense or a feel when there's somebody around you or you might be a foot off the apex and you kind of almost expect somebody to be underneath you. Yeah, but that- I mean, and I watched him come from downtown in Argentina and you think that pass was never on, but he manages to stop. You know, anybody else couldn't stop. So um, it's, it's, it's one of them, you know, um, I've, I've been on the wrong end of, 
you know, taking somebody out because I've overcommitted to a pass. You know, famous one back in Donington, I took out the BMW guys, you know, coming to the inside when they went wide and left the door open and Melandry came back onto me. He crashed. Haslam was on the outside of him. He took Haslam out and, you know, I won the race, which, okay, was great for me, but it wasn't the most popular one. Um, so I know there's there's a happy medium, you know, and top racks strength right now is he's he hasn't come on the he hasn't crossed that line where he's took another rider out or put another rider onto the gravel so until that happens it'll be fine i think if and when that happens there might be um you know a few more stronger words but um i mean race direction are pretty very good to to bring you up into the office and give you a quiet little talking to you every now and again um so yeah let's see well do you do you follow MotoGP? are you watching MotoGP these days do you have a time yeah i watch a good bit of it yeah do you ever look at some of the passes that are made and watch race direction interfere with what happened especially if riders are in the same situation come up the inside and the rider on the outside hits the rider on the inside do you ever look at that personally yourself and just say well all you had to do was just lift a little bit you know like all you had to do instead of leaning on the guy and you knew you were out of it. I mean, do you ever sit there and go, "Hmm, well, Top Rack does that to me and I'm not turning in and crashing myself out." Do you ever have those moments when you're looking at that saying, you know, riders ride hard, got to deal with it. Yeah. I do. I'm, you know, there's there's the old phrase Robin's racing. I'm not that into that, okay? But it, there's it's got a point. Yeah. You know, it's got to yeah. be close, it's got to be fun and exciting, but I think in the GP side, um, also because they're more scrutinized in the media. You know, if somebody rubs someone, you always hear the complaints. And, you know, sometimes you sort of have to snigger thinking, he didn't touch you, mate. He took you wide. You know, That's right. And, okay, you might have lost a couple of tenths, but get over it. You know, give it to him back. But it's funny we talk now because we talk straight after the F1 of the weekend. And I think, you know, race direction, fiddling races, you know, is is tough you know especially especially during the race drop of positions it's it's not it's not that cool um and then gp you know sometimes you have to wait hours and hours and hours for a result because something's happened you know i've been in that position this year myself in manicure um with with top rack and yamaha and kawasaki and that fiasco but it's um that side of racing's not cool you know it should be on the track um rules should be rules and they shouldn't be left open to interpretation it's great that you bring that up because there was a side of you even the day that we got to play a little bit of golf there in jerez that the magnicore thing was still kind of there and you brought it up to me and it was you know people don't get to see the human side of you guys a lot you know and i did and you were talking to me about how much just the the negativity of some of that stuff affected you and how, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We don't like to see things said about us. And um, what's your support group like? When that kind of stuff happens, what are you looking at to make yourself feel a little bit better? Because, you know, people are going to hate you just because you're winning. You know, they're going to hate you for they, for no other reason that you're dominating and you're ruining their championship for them because they want somebody else to win. So there's always going to be haters. But after that one, it was really interesting getting your perspective on that um for me anyways uh getting that perspective of just seeing the human side of you of like man this it just kind of sucks yeah well i've 
I've been so fortunate, I feel, because I've gone through, you're always going to get in the past, you know, a Chaz Davis fan that doesn't like something you've said or Tom Sykes, whatever it be. But there was 99% love, 10% hate or even more, you know, it was, I, I got, people were, fans were nice to me, you know, and and this happened. And honestly, I wish at the time I just have stood up and been like, hey, listen, I'm standing by this. Fucking rules are rules. He went over the green. There's no black and white that if you gain an advantage, it's if you go in the green on the last lap at all, it's drop of position. And of course, it's a world championship. I can understand that this is a, you know, a, a county antrum barley stubble championship, you know, and all the old boys are out riding around in their retro bikes and, hey, you cut the course. Okay, yeah, no worries, mate. But it's a world championship. Sometimes I think people on the sidelines don't understand what's at stake. So, of course, I didn't know my team had gone to race control. I simply reported what I – I enjoyed that race. Let's get that right. Really enjoyed that race. I was happy with the result. But on the last lap, I felt like top right went on the green. It was clear to see. He like compromised my run to the next corner, and I had to stop him in the next corner, come from a long way back. Anyway, the result, what it was, um, I didn't know the result had been overturned until after race two. I, I set off pretty early. I had an early fl flight out of Charles de Gaulle, and I, I'd stopped for some fuel, and I flipped through my Instagram, and it was just full of hate. And my buddy Gaz that runs my um, he runs my YouTube channel. I should shout that out because I'm trying to build some subscribers. Um, yeah, definitely shout out your YouTube yeah. channel. It's so, very entertaining. You guys that, post every couple uh, weeks. It's yeah, good stuff. That's, that's pretty funny. I've got a cool two-stroke motocross video drop in a couple of days. So that um, so he uploads this picture with a like a standard press release answer of um, my race two comments, and I had like thousands of comments within like hundreds of comments within an hour i thought and stupidly i read the comments i'm getting angry and thought and then i became sucked into reading this and sucked into reading it and thinking <laughs> how can he say that for a lot of it was language i couldn't understand um and there's people saying that they knew where i lived um they hope the there was one i remember i hope you die in the next race, there was you're going to have a huge crash, and I thought, okay, have your opinion. Say like, don't hate me. You know, hate the rule. I'm not a fan of the rule. You know, it's um, they should just have put grass there. You know, yeah, and I'm with and we you. should forget. <laughs> we should forget about this green saga. But um, you know, the the worst thing I you know people are going to have their opinion, but all I cared about was um, Top Rack's opinion. I wanted to text him straight away and you know apologize for the, the result that you know I'm not a fan of it but blah blah and he texted me back such a nice message like okay he didn't expect this but that racing um, I'll see you in I think it was Barcelona we went to next and he was brand new and that's all I cared then I deleted all social media off my phone um, you know I kept my accounts but I deleted it off my phone so I wasn't sucked into seeing this all the time for. <laughs> like three, four weeks. I think I still didn't have it on when we played golf. Yeah. And it was it was surprising that time how much I actually find myself looking at social media and the, the drawback of that and how much time it consumed of my life. Um, so after that, I, 
I learned a lot more about myself as well. Um, of course, it's nice to be liked, but I quickly got over that and thought, right, everyone's got an opinion. Just, in fact, instead of trying to please everybody and have a nice politically correct answer to all this, just stand up for your actions, you know, and people are going to not like that or like it, but be yourself. And, you know, it's um, at the end of the day, you know, we, we got to stand up. We're fighting for a world championship. Them points were very important. And, you know, I read Paul Denning said something like he wouldn't have done that. Well, frankly, if he wouldn't have done that, he probably shouldn't be in that team manager role that he's in because them six points or whatever it got me in that race could have won or lost the championship in the end of the day. So um, not a fan of the rule, but my team, I got to say my team stood up for what they believed in and they went and fought for the, for the cause. You know, getting back to that situation with the fans and social media, it's, it's interesting how you can build an entire career, years and years and years of goodwill, and then one incident, and everything turns bad. And I think to, you know, Nicky Hayden, the year he won his championship, and Danny Pedroza, and the accident that happened, what, two races before the end. And, you know, the inside, Nicky tried to make abundantly clear was that Danny came to him straight away. And, you know, Nick's in the gravel trap. He's crying. Moto, MotoGP showing it. And then Danny helped him win that championship. You know, the, the week after, apologize. And Nikki said for years, Danny and I are good. But the fans, I mean, to this day, if Danny Pedroza shows up, like, you know, at, at a race in the U.S., you'll hear boos like crazy. And it's amazing yeah. how, like, one time can tear someone down, even though. And I just, I think in 2006, what it would have been like for Pedroza had social media been around. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the only option oh, would yeah, have been to I know. delete it. I know. Like, I, oh, man, you can't. Like, generally, I went through. I tried to go through a couple of comments on that French trip back to the airport and I blocked a few people because I was like, why do I need to see this negative shit? You know, I'm yep. about <laughs> positivity. So if you're going to write something that annoys me, I'll block you, okay? So, but I couldn't block them fast enough. You know, they were coming so fast. <laughs> so I actually asked, I said to my, my mate Gaz and my sister actually says, can you go through and block everyone that's wrote anything negative because I didn't want to see this shit. Um, but I had one somewhere on... I've got a Facebook fan page. I never go, I run it myself. I've never gone on and looked at inboxes, but I did. And I'd, what, this one guy writes, and I replied to him saying, um, thanks for your opinion. Um, <laughs> but kindly, I really disagree. And I disagree because I was, I, can't, I was in the bath when I wrote it. You know, it was weird. He caught me like, so relaxed. <laughs> you want to see the sucking up he did to me after I replied? Oh. It was like, it was not. You know, so, I went from Magnicur being like I probably couldn't. I mean, we might be hot off the press, but the hot rumors we could be going to Istanbul Park next year. You know, and if we've been <laughs> going to Istanbul Park after Magnicur, it would be a disaster. But you know, I went from that to posting a picture on. Get this, I posted a picture on my Instagram after me giving Top Rack a big heartful hug after he won the championship. You know, I really meant it. And I said to him, mate, you really deserve it. In his ear, I said, you deserve this. Enjoy every minute of it. What a year. And I, somebody got a nice picture of it. I thought, I'll post that. And that's my sort of well-done top rack post. And, you know, sincerely. Everyone's like, what a sportsman. What a gentleman. It's like, it's like <laughs> did, you, did you forget what happened like two months oh, ago? Oh, yeah. Of course they like, did. Yeah, of course. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, these people. And it's like the same people. It's like mad, but... That's you can't um, 
you can't please everyone. But what I learned from that is, you know, be yourself and don't read the comments. You know, I I didn't get that bad that I wanted to call people and ask them for their advice. You know, I <laughs> my wife said you spend too much time on social media anyway. Just delete it for a bit and you know give more attention to the kids or just do normal stuff and. You know, I, I enjoyed that for a bit, but yeah, it's, um, it can be a cruel place. I can only, Im- I, you know, I'm not big deal. You know, you can imagine being David Beckham or, but then you Kardashians think. Kardashians or. Yeah, but I think some of these, the stereotypical guy that's, that's posting that, I can just imagine. I've got his image in my head or her image in my head, <laughs> but they would never, ever, ever say that to your face. Never. And they would also be sitting thinking. Oh, they don't see me as the human that's talking to you guys now. Um, right. They're like, oh, that's that number 65. He's a dick, blah, blah. So I'm going <laughs> to tell him. But they don't think, hey, this kid that's back in Belfast right now is actually reading down through his mentions and he's going to see that I've give it to him. And in this day and age of especially men's mental health right now in the state of that, you know, I'm, you know, I've last this year you know i won my 100 superbike win and i wanted to donate we made these 100 superbike win celebration t-shirts and we sold them and all the profits of that i wanted to go to a charity in northern ireland called aware that deals with men's mental health and i was just thinking it was quite ironic thinking hey do you really think i mean you're probably the guy that's putting his hand up talking about that and then you've got the you know the audacity to come on and slag someone else off from from the sidelines when you don't know the story you don't clearly know the rules, and you know I was I was the fall guy. It didn't help that Dorna threw me under the bus with the big social media video of me going to Perry to tell him. I thought that was pretty. Yep, that was bad. I thought for me being pretty politically on the sidelines with all the you know everything they've done in the championship, I've never once threw them under the bus for to get that. You know I was fit to tell them, you know exactly what I thought, and um, not not a cool way to be received and it was that video i think that did the damage um but hey ho you live and learn even at 34 you can understand a little bit about yourself dude remind me to tell you that the the five years at laguna seca where someone was holding up a sign that said honk if you hate greg white and how i ended up dealing with that <laughs> no. and you know where it was you know how you you know how you have the the the, the road that leads you out of laguna it's kind of up around the rim just before you take that left hander to go down the hill to get out of the racetrack by the by the booth that's where it was <laughs> so back in the day MotoGP and world superbike when it was really busy yeah they, there was there was people holding up a sign honk if you hate greg white yeah, so no, i used to ride by and just I, lay on the horn i bet that guy thought it was well clever you know, oh look, look, look at me. Um, but I would back to the point where I was trying to say that I'm not big time. So I've got maybe I don't know five hundred thousand comments. But watching the F1 at the weekend and on the grid before the start, they're interviewing Hamilton and he's getting booed. And I thought, how horrible is that? You know, Marquez yeah, yeah, last yeah. year gets on the podium and you're getting booed. Like that's horrible. Like what sort of person does that? Yeah, I agree. Um, well, you know what's so, so funny too, Jonathan, is that is people will say, "Yeah, but he's getting paid so much money; he needs to deal with the booze." It's almost yeah. like if you get paid money, you're not a human being anymore with feelings, yeah. right? It's the so, weirdest. But, it's the weirdest reconciliation ever. Yeah, like, like these guys. I mean, I, I can't speak for Hamilton, but Mark's such a good guy. And um, like funny story, I took a bunch of Manx lads to when I lived in the Isle of Man to Spain. We did a motocross camp. 
and Mark brought us up to his, they've got a private track up called Ponce in the north of Barcelona, went up and they were like, well, I'm going to wear my 46 t-shirt. It's like, don't, don't be a dick, you know, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, Mark, I was out doing my last moto and Mark was leaving early and he came over and got down on the ground, sat on the ground with all my mates and asked them, did you enjoy the track and stuff? They all went out that gate like, Mark, Mark has the best ride in the world. <laughs> I'm going to buy a 93 t-shirt. And it was just them little things, you know, that brought the human side. They didn't see him as the guy that, you know, was poking the fire and sapang or they they seen her just a normal bloke that was, you know, had a great day riding with them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a funny old world that, you know, from the outside, sometimes you just see the guy with the helmet on that does crazy things on track, but you forget that there's an actual human under there. So going in next year, John, I, you know, six-time world champ, you mentioned earlier, 34 years old. I don't, you know, I said last week on the podcast that you're not the guy that's going to ever just be the guy riding around. I don't ever see that. I see you always being the guy that's once you have made up your brain in your brain that you don't want to run at the front, can't run at the front, whatever the thing is. Um, your motivation going into 2022, I, I feel like, you know, you're going to come back out and do what you always do. Um, where are you finding the motivation these days to just get back on this thing and and uh, and and go after it again? Don't know. I mean, it hasn't come just yet. Normally in the off yep. season, it'll be suffering on the t- turbo trainer or something. I think it's now the motivation's really clear because I've been beaten. You know, it's about trying to get back the number one, trying to get back to the top. In the past, it was a little bit harder. Um, sometimes it would be, you know, I played a lot on the rivalry with Chaz Davis. You know, the you know we're in a really good place now, but I played on that. Uh, intense rivalry, you know, the bad blood off the track, on the track, and that got me through some tough winners. Um, you know, this year it's just trying to win again. You know, I'm in, actually in great shape for the set. I stood in the scales this morning thinking I'm going to be so overweight, and I'm like, bang <laughs> on my racing weight. I was like, I haven't enjoyed myself enough yet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> normally, uh, we I start training like right in December, but the season finished so late and it's starting so late as well we get a little bit more long time off so yeah looking forward to getting stuck back into you know hard training again um and yeah i think you know a lot of things are going against us but the team are pulling in really good directions and nice i mean you've been in the team i mean they've they've had you with open arms and hospitality you can see the atmosphere yeah. they're good people you know and it's yeah. really easy when when life at the track's fun you know, win or lose, it's it's easy to get motivated and come and give everything because um, you know you know they've got your back and maybe I need to tame it down a little bit when our back's against the wall and forget about just trying to make it happen. Just them little learnings where you can take a third today or a fourth today, whatever, and we'll add points up in October, November. Um, they'll be my learnings. Um, also, the team have got a lot of learning to do as well. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I I mentioned it earlier. I don't know if I could ever really truly explain to the public or even to other teams. I've been around so many teams. The unity of your team after those after the race one and the Super Bowl race at Portimao. I'm having lunch in the hospitality after that Super Bowl race. You're there. Pire's there. Uh, Yuri was there. I think. And it was just like. Ah, it's racing. It happens, and we're just going to go on, and we're going to we got the next race. And then you could see 
you know, Riva just flooded in tears after you win race two. And it was like, there was no real urgency. There was no, it was like, let's just keep doing what we're doing, what we've done to get to where we're at. So I agree with you, Johnny, on that. The, the team behind you, the unity, um, the hospitality, is it's uh, it's incredible. So going in next season, rivalries, obviously you and Top Rack are there. Um, I'm just curious, you probably give it some thought, don't give it some thought. Other guys that you think are really going to be poking their nose in next year that might make that next little step to run with you guys consistently. Will Scott be able to do that on the BMW, in your opinion, now? We know he wrote it this week. What about Batista coming back to Ducati? Is Do you feel like that gap has been closed enough uh, with machinery that Batista would be probably not jumping out the way he did in 19 and getting that big gap on you guys? Um, like I'm just curious to know... What's your kind of thoughts are going into this first real winter test? I have no idea. Um, yeah. And I've, I've always had that mentality to try not to, try not to gonna be there before, you know, three or four races. You know, I give too much kudos to Bautista the beginning of 19. Um, I think I accepted I was beat before we even started making inroads in the championship. And I mean, we turned it around in big fashion. Um, the biggest then <laughs> ever with with top rack probably this year i heap too much from my point of view um personally i probably give him too much credit um and to the point where not at times when he would do something special on the bike or he would do a, a good session and think oh, oh this is going to be a tough one instead of thinking hey listen you've got this get stuck in and you'll win on sunday or saturday so um Let's see. I think clear top racks starts off out as the guy. Um, without a doubt, because he's, he's staying the same team, he's not going to get slower. He's gonna, probably going to get faster. So um, the question marks are Scott to BMW. You know, he's a fast guy. BMW are developing a good rate of knots. So that's the question mark. Um, Alvaro going back to Ducati. Well, he's done it before. So why can't he do it again? Um, so... Yeah, you just never know. One thing's sure, I think um, Top Rack's definitely the guy. And uh, out of all the rivals I've raced with, he's he makes the least mistakes. He's the most consistent. So um, I think come come tallying up the points, come October, he'll be there more than more than the rest. Let's take you out of being out of your series, and let's let's put you in a, a race fan perspective. Um, are you coming to race the Daytona 200? <laughs> well, Chuck's been Chuck's asked that before. <laughs> yeah, Chuck Axon, he's my manager. So, um, but no, no, man, I'm I'm so busy right now. I don't <laughs> I know figured. why. To get the link to join your podcast, man, I've opened my WhatsApp on my computer and it's just pinging my kids' football, my, my kids' soccer WhatsApp group. <laughs> yeah, like they're training tonight, so that takes up quite a lot of my time. Um, and you know, I, I really enjoy that side of things. You know, I enjoy superbike in the 13 round championship and being around a lot for my kids as well, or as much as mm -hmm. I can be. Um, because when you tally up the days you're away from home or away from family, it's you know, I think I didn't count this year, but it, it's more than 100 days of the year, it's, it's quite a lot. So uh, I tried to enjoy being at home as much as possible and uh, being normal. He's doing quite good at football, so. It's quite cool to see, you know, I I had them little 50cc motocross bikes and 
they like them, but they don't bust my ass to go ride all the time. So it's, <laughs> it's it tends to be I'll be um, I'll probably be in stadiums, but it won't be Supercross stadiums. It'll be mm. football stadiums. What about? Um, I'm curious about your take on what's happening in World Supersport slash Moto America Supersport as we follow along uh, the introduction of these different you know larger motorcycles and you know a 955 Ducati twin and 800 triple with MV Augusta 765 triumph. Uh, the possibility of even something like a GSXR 750, you know, um, if you look at Supersport as a fan, does it excite you? Does it kind of, you just go, man, I'll just wait and see, or what's your reaction to what's going on over there? As a fan, hundred percent, but as a rider, I'd be so nervous that you're not <laughs> on the good, the good bike in the, you know, in the first years, because it's going to take time to understand how to balance that class because it's not going to happen straight away. I mean, you're going to see it was a bit like, um, you know, the super sport 300 class when, you know, they had one make series for years and then they had it open where they had KTM pretty much Cowie and Yamaha all at the front. Uh, they had a, I think a 500 CC Honda as well. That's homologated right, for that class. So, uh, that, that was probably not the most competitive. Then the KTM had such a speed advantage, so they had to manipulate that. So it's going to take some time to sort out, but it's good that, I mean, I see uh, Belega is with Aruba Ducati. So like an official type Ducati effort is really cool for Supersport. Um, I'm not sure what Honda are going to do, if they're going to come back with any effort. Because I mean, I think the last official Honda effort was when, you know, 10K ran a Honda team. Uh, in super sport it tends to be the yamaha cup now with a couple of pachetti kawasaki's thrown in there and mm. um so it's good that there's more manufacturers involved and it's um good for the series yeah i definitely agree with you all right we're getting towards the end of this one because you have spent so much time with yeah, us thanks, and we John. really appreciate it you've answered most of the questions that fans have asked but there is one that hasn't been answered yet and this is from matt polanski who wrote in he said if you could race at any track not currently on the world superbike calendar which would it be? Matt, great question. Um, well, one that I'm told amazing is Magello. I've never been to Magello. Um, so I can't really give experience in that. One I've been to that I'd like to race Superbike at, that you guys would be familiar with, is Barber. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. We you did Barber on what, a 400? Yeah, I did Barber on a, a ZX10. Oh, Zex to, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, like, yeah. I never got to like hoon around on fast laps. It was more with we had the big, um, we're making the TV commercial, so we had the 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 big Russian arm, you know, following and you yeah. had to overtake <laughs> the camera. So it was, it was more acting than riding, but the the layout's cool. Um, what a museum as well. I got a few oh. few hours to go and have a look around that that was amazing was jason's was jason's bike in his suit in the museum at that time Did the jordan from the jordan era <sighs> probably would have been he would he would have glazed right over that anyways he wouldn't yeah, even have noticed there, that. there was a during the most exciting bike in there there was um there's actually like a cr250 brand new like not turned a wheel i thought wow that thing's pretty cool yeah i'm a motocross <laughs> nut so I, I i like the motocross bikes but they've got a big car collection in there too it's a impressive place i go there i go there and i just stare at the britain johnny i just literally just i get in front of that britain and i just sit there and stare at it because it just just if there's one bike there 
the I leather that, that Jason one. Pridmore is hanging up, and I just stare at the crotch. Mm. Yeah, I'm so, sure you do. Yeah. Well, just, funny, just, the Britain, right? This is um, how iconic that is. I remember as a kid holding my dad's hand at the Isle of Man TT as a fan, and he, he was he was giving me the history of the Britain. I think it was Nick Jeffries wrote it, and he was giving me all the info, and I was like so absorbed with this like weird looking bike. Yeah. But um, yeah, super cool thing. Speaking of super cool. We are going to be doing, as we've done the last couple of years, the a um, fantasy league for Supercross, Pulp MX Fantasy Supercross. And as we wrap this podcast up, if you win the pool for 2022, you'll win an Arai helmet, which Arai helmet we don't know. By the way, Johnny, that helmet that you had with the ZX-7 replica bodywork, mm. I have run it up the ladder from the U.S. to Japan because I want a replica of that helmet made. That helmet was sick. The color scheme was <laughs> unbelievable. True. But anyway, you'll be able to win an Arai replica helmet. So the question is, with your busy schedule, will you participate? Do you think, because you know your manager does, in the Pulp yeah. MX Fantasy Greg's Garage Pod League? Yeah, I will. You got Do you know what it is, though? Right. I, I just, I, I'd like to pick a team before January and let it be. Mm. Me too, dude. And I know the rules. You get to you have to manipulate your team and wildcards. It's like actually hard to understand. But it's harder for you guys over there because of the time the races happen over here. Like, so when we do MotoGP fantasy over here, it's a lot harder for us because it's middle of the night when you really can pick your teams. You know, so it's a little bit more difficult. So you, but you teams right before the event, then. Well, I yeah. think it's after, isn't it after like free practice three in MotoGP or something. I didn't do very good this year. No, you're talking about on That's, the on the Pulp MX fantasy. You you have up until the evening the evening program starts. So yeah. the moment that the flag drops for those qualifier races, the first races, you you can you can pick and but but if you don't pick, you get a zero. Where yeah. this other league that we're looking at, Rocky Mountain MCA TV or whatever, you can pick your team for the year and then run it. So maybe we'll do a side pool on that one, and we'll get you and me yeah, and we'll get Chuck on and that one. Skip Uncle Skip and it's um. It's a cool series. I, I do watch the Supercross. Yeah, subscribe to the, you know, the live TV and um, yeah, it's a bit of chopping and changing. You know, Eli going to Yamaha, Anderson and Cowie. Personally, thought they'd bring um, they'd have brought Faulkner up to the four fifty. Yeah. Well, like some yeah. of the and some of the inside stuff that, that we're getting out here is that Eli's. Eli and Anderson right now. I, apparently, Anderson's just uh, pretty strong on the Cowie right this second at all the test tracks right. here, here, and that Tomac is unreal on the Yamaha. Apparently, he was um, quite a bit quicker than everybody from the first day on that thing there. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out for sure. Sometimes yeah. a shot in the arm, right, Johnny? You've been through it, you know, in terms of changing manufacturers, and you kind of referred to you know the amount of time you've been with Kawasaki. Sometimes doesn't matter what company it is. We've seen it here in American football. Sometimes you change a fresh scenery, new people, new inputs, and you can just dominate or rip, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. I mean, do I have to bring yeah, up Tom Brady in this podcast again? Do I have to bring yeah. up Tom Brady? No. no. <laughs> I mean, maybe in sport, just um, don't tell my wife that because you, you should make a commitment and run with it, shouldn't you? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I'm saying not in all aspects of your life. Yeah, no. but I, I feel like I'm pretty married to Cowie right now, so... Um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. It's been a good run. Johnny, I cannot thank you enough for being with us today. And um, no, it means like no. a great deal to us that you that you chose to come on. 
I can't thank you guys enough. You keep. I've got like a two-hour window from Belfast to Dublin. I use Dublin Airport quite a lot, so I bang your podcast out all the time on that journey, and um, <laughs> definitely gets me through that drive. So thank you. Thank yeah, and by the way, much. if you're ever listening and we say something wrong and you want to F you, me, or Jason, you feel free. I mean, that's what yeah. WhatsApp's for, right? Just go yeah. ahead and say you guys are off the chain. <laughs> yeah, but, no, uh, listen, well, we really uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for checking out the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore. we got more coming at you before the year is up. We'll probably, Jason, take a break between Christmas and New Year's. I haven't talked to you about it yet, but I'm kind of guessing that probably. we will do that. And we'll be back. So if you go to the description, there is a link to the Pulp MX Fantasy Supercross League. Make sure you sign up. If you haven't, if you've been signed up in the past, you'll automatically be signed up, but make sure you look forward to that. Thanks again, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Jason, as always, you have the last word. Take us out of here. Jonathan, have a great test, and uh, I'm hoping we can get that golf handicap in the single digits at the end of 2022. Cheers, guys. Thank you. (laughs)